Greetings, dear listeners. Thank you so much for coming over to listen to today's episode of Satiate. I'm Sue Van Rays, your host. I'm a nutritional therapist, food psychology specialist, and women's health advocate here in Boulder, Colorado, where I founded Boulder Nutrition. I'm also an author, speaker, and yoga teacher. I created this podcast, Satiate, as a food and freedom forum where we could come together, share, explore, and learn some of the different ways to find satiation and personal fulfillment in our lives. Our relationship with our eating is one that is very complex and often is reflected through the many other roles we play and the many other areas that weave together to create our health and happiness. Our health simmers together the many ingredients and aspects of our divinely complex beings. What we eat, how we eat, the amount of deep sleep we get, the quality of our thoughts and relationships, our daily rhythms and rituals, as well as our relationship to money. So when I crossed paths, literally, with my friend Barry Tesler on one of our favorite trails in the Boulder foothills, I was delighted at the idea and opportunity to collaborate with her on this inspiring health and wealth conversation. Barry's methodology is like no other I've ever experienced. Her program supported me in making many, many financial breakthroughs, including kindling a love affair with my finances. She teaches about earning, saving, spending, and investing, but not in the way that you'd expect. Because as Barry says, money isn't just about dollars and cents. So welcome to our next episode of Satiate, and I'm here today with Barry Tesler Linden. And I'm gonna just introduce her before she comes on to our live podcast here in North Boulder, where we're together in her beautiful home office. Um, Barry Tesler Linden is a financial therapist, mentor, coach, and mamapreneur. Barry's gentle, body-centered approach weaves together personal, couple and creative entrepreneurial money teachings into one complete tapestry. She's the founder of The Art of Money, a global year-long money school which integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. Her work has been featured on Oprah.com and Huffington Post, the US News and World Report, Reuters Money, The Fiscal Times, Red Book Magazine, Experience Life Magazine, Yogi Times, Best Self Magazine, and Emerging Women. Barry is also the author of The Art of Money, A Life-Changing Guide to Financial Happiness, which is published by Parallax Press. You can learn more about her at her website, barrytesler.com. So thank you for hosting our podcast today, and thank you for taking the time to be with me and share your wisdom. Thanks so much for having me. This is the very first time I've done a podcast interview live, and live in my home. It's fun. <laughs> so, so cool. <laughs> well, I just thought we could start today. Maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what you're up to and what your money work is about. 
What am I up to? So let's see, this year is a year where I'm leading my year-long program, The Art of Money, and we have 470 students to be exact in this year, nice. folks from all over the world. And it is my fifth year of this year-long program, so I've been teaching in group formats. I've been teaching my money work in group formats for 16 years, but I used to teach with 10 people, and then it grew to 20 people, and then it grew to 50 and 60, and then when we opened up the year-long program, we had a really big leap. And so this is my main focus this year is the year-long program, which I love. It's, it's my favorite teaching format. It's the most sustainable business model I've had, and I've had many over the last 16 years, but this is the most sustainable and my favorite. Um, last year, um, I've been calling this year a little bit of a sabbatical year, even though it's crazy because I'm still leading my year-long program, but mm -hmm. I have TAs, I have five teaching assistants, and we have a lot of guest teachers, and um, I can go into the private Facebook group at 10 at night, you know, or on a Sunday whenever I have space. Um, but I have been calling this a bit of a sabbatical year because last year, in addition to the year-long program, I also had a full load of private clients. And um, I was also publishing my book, The Art of Money, right. you know, in June, and then went on a whole book tour um, and was teaching the year-long program. And the year before, I had the year-long pro program, my private clients, I was co-writing the book, creating the book. So... The last few years have just been, there's been a lot going on at once, and this year I'm only leading, I say only, <laughs> I'm only leading the year-long program um, with my community. Um, in addition to that, I have a nine-year-old son, and we're in big transitions. Um, mm -hmm. He's in big transitions, me and my husband are in big transitions with him, we're really doing our best to support him through all of that, so it's perfect that it's somewhat of a sabbatical year, so we can give more attention to him. And I'm also, um, I don't know if this is, it is appropriate with you, you know, yeah. it's, I'm fully in perimenopause at the age of 48, almost 49. So there's just a lot going on, um, a lot of attention given to health and body and all of that. And then, yeah, and our son and my year-long program. And then every two weeks I do create a new article or put out a new podcast interview. So there's still a lot of content um, being created behind the scenes that's so important to me um, mm -hmm. to have that free content in a generous way so that's that's a little bit about what's going on <laughs> this year yeah I've, I've been um, well I've been a participant in your art of money program when I think it was the first year it came out 2013 was yeah it? and that was amazing to be part of that kind of community and that online forum and there was so much great information to like explore it felt like you know, just a lot of different aspects and perspectives that were all really valuable. So that was a great to be part of. Great, thank you. But the other thing I wanted to say is when I read your blog posts or listen to your podcasts or see your Instagram posts, etc., it's been really, I've really enjoyed hearing that you're taking this time for yourself because it sounds like you need it. And I think a lot of times in our world we might need the time but we don't carve it out for ourselves because of life getting too busy or we're not managing what you know putting our attention on ourselves so it's been really refreshing for me to hear that from you thank you I mean it's for me business models are always about trying to find some integration of my priorities and values at that time so 
family always, health always, you know, making sure I can get that hike in the middle of the day, um, being as generous as possible with my content, and on and on. And I'm, I'm always shifting my business model. I usually have one for about four years and then shift it, but we're going into our fifth and this is still working. And so I just altered it a bit. And yeah, I'm always listening to what phase of life am I in? And what do I need to alter because of that? There was a time, you know, nine years ago when I had my son, right shy of my 40th birthday, and I had been in growth business years for the last, you know, the previous four or five, actually seven years, just growth, growth, growth. I had a whole team of bookkeeping trainers and financial coaches. I had a business partner. Um, everything was live in the Bay Area. We were traveling everywhere. You know, I was teaching in different places each night. Then. I had my son and we had such a complication um, in our labor that I'm incredibly grateful that we all made it through and then I was in recovery after that. So in that moment thinking I was just going to grow that year and then realizing once I got to the other side, crossed the bridge into motherhood and I saw who I was, what was going on, I was so blissed out in one from one perspective, like loved being a mom. I was so happy but I was also in deep recovery and so instead of growing that year I had to really simplify and I let go of my business partner my entire team went from 40 to 50 60 hours a week because I loved it and had the energy to what can I do in 10 hours a week while I'm crazily sleep deprived while I'm recovering what do I love to do the most and that's also the most lucrative and that was my online group programs that I did only twice that year with 50 people so yes I'm always listening to what phase of life and I don't always get it right you know in that moment that all kind of surprised me and had to adjust quickly right. where this I was you know perimenopause was like whispering in my ear as of two years ago and then I did a cr crazy cleanse food cleanse to get me ready for the book tour and to give me the energy which I did and then I that was wonderful and I just came home and crashed and then went fully into perimenopause so um, set up the year for that great well, one of the things that I love about your work, there's many, of course, but one of the things I love is that in your methodology, it's very prevalent to me as a witness, I guess, that there's a lot of body-centered approach, yeah. there's a lot of intuitive approach, and there's a big focus on like inner freedom and working with some of our old patterns around shame or self-criticism or self-doubt that I know when I've listened to you in both the Art of Money program and on your blog and podcast, it's been like this big relief in my body that I've felt. And I know in my work with food and women, you know, there's a lot of that same type of, cre you know, confusion, shame, guilt, trying to be perfect, you know, striving for these external goals and it's always part of my job to help people turn back inward so I do feel like we share that in a certain way yeah. in our work but also the way you speak to it is definitely unique so yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about that sure so um, it's important me to share it's important for me to share that my foundation comes from my somatic psychology training so at the age of 24 took myself to Nairobi University to start graduate school in somatic therapy. Um, I needed it so bad for mm -hmm. just, just for myself in my 20s. And I was just really drawn to 
um, using the body, learning how to listen to the body again, learning how to remember to listen to the body um, as modalities for therapy. You know, I tried talk therapy. I asked my parents if I could go to therapy at 16. And wow. yeah, yeah, I knew I was playing lots of games. I was having lots of fun. Um, don't get me wrong. I was pretty wild and very feisty and lots of things. And I, and very sad, you know, just, a, I, I don't know if I can say a typical teenager, but, and I also had a lot of awareness at the same time and wanted to understand myself better. And so asked to go to therapy and all I knew was talk therapy, you know, so I was sent to a male talk therapist. As a 16-year-old girl, it really didn't work for me, but it was a beginning, right? right. And then, um, I don't even, re- it's, it's a long story, but I found myself knowing that I needed to study somatic therapy, okay? Um, and so that's what I was steeped in my 20s. And I had studied every topic under the sun um, in graduate school, you know, body, food, sexuality, sensuality, spirituality, gender, um, all of it, you know, on and on. We never talked about money. And it wasn't until I left graduate school and my school loan came due and I totally freaked out and realized I don't have a relationship to money and how was this left out of my graduate school and my undergrad um, when I was going to traditional university and high school. Oh, there was one accounting class, but how is this just completely left out? And so I realized, um, at first I thought, well, I'm the only one who has these money issues. You know, I'm the only one, you know. That's what shame is. We think we're the only one. We think how we're doing it is bad and wrong. We think something's the matter, you know, with us. I remember my 20s even taking on the topic of relationships and intimacy. Oh, my God, I had so much shame around that, so much shame about who I was or what I did or what I was afraid of. Right. Um, in right, so whenever we're taking on any of these big relationships in our life, from my view, um, there's there is shame. You know, there's just layers upon layers of thick clouds of, you know, I'm not okay. Something's wrong with me. Something's the matter with me. Every everyone else knows how to do this, but me. I suck at this. I'm stupid. Right, all those things. And so when I was going to take on money Uh, you know as I said I first thought I was the only one and then I started looking around in my community from all different economic backgrounds all different income levels now all different lineage and ethnicities spiritual paths religious paths we all had money shame and we all had strengths around money we all had challenges we all had things to overcome it was just across the board and so what I realized in that moment was okay, I felt as though I was being given a mission to come up with some kind of path or methodology around money. I felt, I mean, I met a mentor, Tamara Slayton in Sebastopol, California, this was 16 years ago, who saw that I was trying to integrate all of my previous training as a therapist. And then I had a few years where I was in transition and I was running a bookkeeping business Mm -hmm. for therapists and coaches and artists and contractors. Um, because I was making so little money in the mental health field as a counselor and I wasn't ready to start a private practice and I didn't know what to do you know and then it's a you know another story where it seemed like an odd detour and it wasn't I went up learning bookkeeping having a whole bookkeeping business it was the perfect stepping stone in transition place where I learned all these skills about money 
the practical stuff. You know, was that conscious bookkeeping? That was that the business? It, it was the beginning of conscious okay. bookkeeping, and so it was mostly I was doing bookkeeping for other people, and I felt at that time as though I was learning more about people um, and their relationship to money. Uh, I was just learning more about people than I ever could have if I was doing therapy at that age. You know, I just mm -hmm. so much re was revealed by how they spent money, how they earned money. Um, they just would throw their books at me. Like they threw their bookkeeping at me. They had no idea I had a master's in therapy. <laughs> you know, they just didn't want to have anything to do with this area of life. They just threw it at me and said, please do this for me. Please take this on. I learned so much. Um, and, you know, I learned. I learned QuickBooks and I learned Quicken and I blew my mind. I always knew I was smart, but not in traditional ways. I wasn't great at math. I wasn't good at numbers and I had just equated all of that. I'm not good in that, so I can't be good with money. And that's not how it goes. When I learned QuickBooks and Quicken, it was like the light bulbs went on. I was like, oh my God, I can use the other side of my brain. And um, it, it was so empowering for me. It felt revolutionary, actually, to learn a bookkeeping system, to learn how to track my income and expenses, even when it was so low, when the numbers were so small. Mm -hmm. Like, it was just the foundation for everything. Um, and then moved into, um, people started asking me to train them on these programs, and then people started asking me to do financial therapy with them, and then I started creating my methodology, and my original groups were all called Conscious Bookkeeping for a decade. Right. Before I renamed it all and realized that's not the name anymore, and it's you know, we moved into the art of money. Right. Um, so to come back to the shame piece, and when I was initially creating the methodology, I knew that I had to bring all of my somatic training. And so when people ask me, what's the number one tool that you would ask people to do? They usually say, name one, two, or three things, right? Number two is start a bookkeeping system or learn how to use one. Number one is a body check-in. So mm -hmm. the body check-in totally comes from my training and background. Um, you know, it, it's simply yeah. a way to check in, to stop and pause and ask yourself on a few levels, on a physical level, sensation level, emotional level, breathing level, what's going on, right? Um, because for most of us, if not all of us, money is so emotional and we've projected so much onto it. So not only did we receive a financial education from grade school and up in small increments, but we didn't learn um, how to understand our emotions, what they are, how to relate to them, how to work with them. So emotional literacy and financial literacy, those are my two main tracks. And you know everything comes up just like it does in, around food and our bodies and intimacy and the same set of feelings. You know everything from the shame to full on anger, right, and being so pissed to full sadness, to anxiety, to fully checking out, to guilt, to you know on and on and on to some of the good stuff like joy and hope and um, this can be different or I can change patterns and all of that, right? So there's an entire spectrum and um, it's so important for me to help people to stop and pause and ask them to start checking in before all of these money moments that happen on a daily basis. When you're gonna go online and check your numbers, when you're gonna go to pay bills, when you're gonna go have a money conversation with your honey, your spouse, and to do them before 
or during in the heat of the moment when you remember suddenly oh my god I'm freaking out I'm having such strong emotions what's going on okay body check in or sometimes we don't remember until after we're leaving mm-hmm. the mall the mall with like two bags and all of a sudden we're like what just happened where did I go you know so a body checking can happen before can happen during these moments it can happen after and for me um, the antidote to money shame is what is the antidote to money shame <laughs> it's the antidote to money shame is actually you know is awareness is starting to bring awareness which leads to understanding which leads to change mm-hmm. and the way that we bring more awareness which leads to understanding which leads leads to a changing of patterns is by doing these body check-ins as a practice mm-hmm. daily um, whenever you remember there's no right or wrong we're just gathering information on what is our money story what are our strengths what are our challenges what does money shame feel like look like when does it come up for me um, when does shame not come up when does anger come up or when does deep sadness come up and I can give examples on all of that but that's for me and you know in starting this work and leading these groups for years um, and whenever we're taking on a big topic um, and money is one of them, right? Mm-hmm. Money is one of the main gardens that needs our attention, not too much, not too little, but what's the right amount of attention here? And because it was a missing piece in our education and we weren't taught from grade school and up, we're learning this as adults. You know, my community yeah. is 25 to 75 years old. So we have to learn it in bite-sized chunks, in small baby steps, in crawls, you know, <laughs> and whatever we can do um, to slowly start unraveling the shame or in unraveling whatever strong emotions come up and helping you understand what they are so that we can um, make different choices or maybe we realize we're doing really well in this one area of our relationship to money and we've never honored it because all we think about is is how we're doing this wrong or how we feel stupid or we don't know it all so that's that's my relationship to money shame that we all have it or money, money, many of us have it and we all decide it's time to look at our relationship to money at different points along the way between 25 and 75. <laughs> I know you and I are trying to teach our children at younger ages, you right. know, um, and that, that money shame is pretty universal. It's okay. It's normal, whatever that, I don't usually mm-hmm. use that word. And that my favorite tool um, to use to start to get in there is the body check-in as a practice. It's not something you do once and that's it. It's something you do as often and as much as you can. I really loved a blog you wrote maybe a couple years ago about buying a car. Yeah, I was just thinking of that too. Really? Because I mean, it was like this whole process that you you were describing in the blog and it was like really real life example of body check-in right which has helped me because there's times where it's like i really want those boots there's times where the boots are perfectly appropriate and there's times when the boots are covering something up like i don't i need something to feel better about myself or you know i need a treat or a way to escape into that retail world and so anyways, I'd love to hear about that experience okay. with the car. It was so interesting. Great, and that's why the body check-in is so important, and there's so many layers to it of understanding ourselves. 
Um, but sometimes that's not the only question to be asking and that's not the end of the story. Because we may check in and go, should I really get these boots? And our body's just saying, yes, like I want those <laughs> boots so much or I want that, whatever that food is, you know, right. I want that so much. And okay, so that's one part of it. I have many more questions to ask when making decisions around buying something or purchasing something, you know, when it's a small money decision or a medium money decision or a large money decision. So this was a medium money decision. This was about four years ago now. And um, we, it was in, we were in Boulder, Colorado. It might have been five, so four or five years ago. We're in Boulder, Colorado. It's the weekend. Um, one of my dear friends, Johnny, owns some of our favorite coffee shops in town called mm-hmm. The Goat. Mm-hmm. And he was having a celebration for the anniversary one of one of his coffee shops. And they were going to have live goats there. And my son was four. So who doesn't, you know, what kid doesn't love live goats? And so we went there. We got our mochas. And we were hanging out with the goats. And next to the coffee shop was a green car dealership. And it was like a line mm-hmm. of blue electric leaf cars. And my husband and I had been having this conversation um, for a year or two because my husband had wanted to get an electric leaf car since he was a kid. Like it was just one of his dreams. You know, electric leafs were not so expensive. They were reasonable. He had been doing his research. He had been calling car dealerships. He, you know, he, he had been doing it. And I don't know if this whole thing was set up or planned. I don't think it was. I think he was as surprised as I was that we go to the GOAT for the celebration and that the exact car that he wants is like there are five of them, you know, right here sitting on the slot. Um, and, and, and they're used cars, right? And they're used. And so, you know, next thing I know, Forrest, my husband is over there and he's like, hey, honey, you want to take a test drive? And I said, sure. And we took a test drive. And the next thing we know, we're in the car dealership and we're with a car salesman and he's starting to talk about prices and um, finance fees and all of it. Da, 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 and it was starting to get a little too fast for me. And I noticed I was starting to hyperventilate. And I was like, okay, hold on. I know what's going on. <laughs> I need a moment. And I told my husband to hold on. I told the car dealer guy to hold on. I said, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. So I went to the bathroom while I'm starting to hyperventilate and I started to do a body check-in. I've been doing these for years and practicing them Mm -hmm. for years, right? Since my 20s. And I knew how to calm myself down. I know that my emotions are not gonna go away. I'm pretty sensitive, I have emotions, right? But now I know how to work with them. So it doesn't scare me or surprise me when I have strong emotions. And I was having strong emotions, right? I was starting to hyperventilate. I calmed myself down and I knew what I had to do. I took myself you know, back in the room and I said, husband and you know, car dealer guy, we need to have a money date right here. You and me, Forrest. Uh, it's gonna take about 20 to 30 minutes. And money dates is something else that we've been practicing for years. Our money dates used to be like swearing, fighting, crying. <laughs> that version and every once in a while there's still some swearing and fighting <laughs> I'm not crying any longer and but we've been practicing money dates where it's just sitting down and giving you know this area life attention um, whether it's calling a new accountant um, to meet them whether it's uh, learning a bookkeeping system whether it's sitting down with three months or six months of your data to review uh, you know where you're spending money and, and has it gone up and where can you decrease and what's ne- negotiable and what's not. So there's so much more to money dates, but that's it in a nutshell, right? I always start out a money date with the body check-in. 
then we move to story time or talking about values, then we can talk about the numbers, right? So we proceeded to have a 20 to 30 minute money date. And um, in that, we, we started asking our questions, uh, which is, so do we have the cash flow for this? Yes. Um, is this in alignment with our values? Uh, yes, you know, this is a green electric car. We're gonna be able to plug it in, charge it up, drive around Boulder without ever having to go to the gas station and put in gas. Yes, you know, right. is this fulfilling a dream? Yes, this has been Forrest's dream since he was a kid. Um, is this going to have any negative impact on our longer term goals? And our longer term goal at that time was buying a home. And we checked in and said, it's not gonna have a negative impact on that, okay? And we went through probably more questions and after 20 to 30 minutes of a really solid, satisfying money date, we came to our conclusion that we were ready to buy this car and wound up, you know, going through the rest of the details and then driving off the lot, going, you know, woohoo! <laughs> Yay, we, we did it. We, we bought this electric car and it feels really good. And then there's always an evaluation after, you know, does this feel mm -hmm. good? Was this a good money decision? And there's no perfect right. with any of this. We're always learning and growing and making some mistakes and learning from them and doing it better next time. Um, but that's a story for me of, yes, I had really strong emotions. <laughs> I was starting to ventilate. I knew what to do. I went to the bathroom, had a body check-in, came back. We knew what to do. Let's have a money date. Let's ask a series of questions that we have come up with. Right. Um, that's That was one of my favorite chapters, but I say that about every chapter in the book. There's a whole right. chapter on how to make good money choices and decisions and what are some questions to ask in these small money decision moments, medium and large, right? And you know, at that time, buying a car still felt like a huge decision for me and still felt scary um, from where I was at. And then, Four years later, when we actually bought our home, right. um, I wasn't scared at all. I was ready to pounce. My husband said I turned into a Jaguar. Uh, there was no hyperventilating in the bathroom. It happened within 36 hours, and we had to sit in the mortgage lender's office for a few hours evaluating as two entrepreneurs. Did we have the savings? Um, if they're look, you know, they needed to see two years of taxes. They needed to see credit score, all of that. Um, sat there calmer than ever, but if I hadn't learned how to make that mid-price point money decision and go through that four years later, I wouldn't have been as calm and jaguarish and ready right. to make that happen in such a satisfying way. One part that's really inspiring to me about that story is that the language that you and Forrest clearly share around having a money conversation, a money date, and really asking these questions that you've thought through together, it's really cohesive. Like, it wasn't the first time you did that, clearly, right. which makes it so much easier when you do it in little ways, I'm sure, throughout time, and you get to a bigger conversation in a car dealership, you know, you can default to these practices you've already worked with, yes. you know? And that's yeah. the nice part about practicing things over and over, whether yeah. they're on a small scale or a big scale. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I mean, we've been together 16 years. I started the conscious bookkeeping work within a few months of us coming together. Um, 
and well maybe six months later but you know so he's been around for everything <laughs> and this is a language that we've cultivated and created together um, we we both had our challenges around money right we both had our strengths but we both had lots of challenges and this is something that we've been actively working on together <laughs> yeah every step along the way yeah it's beautiful thank you for sharing that story it sort of segues into this next piece that I wanted to bring into our conversation, which is the practices around self-care, both in the world of money, but also in the personal realm that helps us to stay in balance, to be able to bring that mindfulness into our day, right. whatever that looks like. And, you know, really, no matter what your money history is, what are some of those practices that you would recommend for someone starting out? So this was also something that, um, so 16 years ago I started Conscious Bookkeeping, but it was about four years before that that I started, my school loan came due, freaked out, you know, started looking around going, what else can I do here? Like, I need to learn about money. This was a missing piece. Um, and I realized that if I was going to create a methodology, that it had to be imbued with a lot of the qualities um, and and lifestyle and practices that I was already living um, mm -hmm. that made me so excited about life, right? Or that really made things sacred for me. And you know, so for me, it had to include creativity. It had to include deeper meaning. It had to include playfulness. It had to include sacredness. All of these things. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know if it was possible to integrate them with my relationship to money, but um, I, I couldn't do money without these other things, without these other qualities. So that was a lot of the qualities that I brought into the design of this work yeah. and the practices, right? So they weren't going to be separate because, and from the beginning was always, how do I merge heaven with earth? That seems so simple, but that's what I was asking in my 20s. How do I merge these? Because um, this stuff... This practical money stuff and bookkeeping stuff seems so boring and not creative and so mundane and so not spiritual, and all, you know? And I was like, no, I need to find a way to merge these together. Mm -hmm. So there's so many ways um, and so many practices, and let's see. So number one is is the money date, right? Is, is seeing how can you create a practice on a practical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual level that you create, right? So uh, for some people, they may start, start out five minutes a day, sitting down, looking at their numbers online, right? Sitting down, doing a body check-in, sitting down, uh, checking their account balances, sitting down, asking themselves, what is one little baby step that I can take about my relationship to money right now? What's one thing I need to work on or who do I need to reach out to on my financial support team for more help? and so on. So for some people it's five minutes a day, for some people it's 15 minutes every few days, for some people it's 30 minutes twice a week. So this is what I'm not going to tell you exactly how to do it, right? Because right. that's not how, there's so many money books out there that will tell you exactly what you're supposed to be doing, how you're supposed to be doing it. These are the five things around paying down debt, around saving and investing. They all say the same things and there's some good, really solid information out, out there. But as we were talking about before, I'm really wanting to teach people that they can bring in the creativity, the meaning, the intuition, the sacredness, and so on, right? Mm -hmm. And so they ha we have to come up 
with our own practice here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and at the beginning, you may want to do it, uh, you know, more often, um, so that you create the grooves eventually. Because at some, at the beginning, it may not be so easy or so fun, or you may feel stuck, or it may feel really heavy. That's all real. That's all part of it. So, what do you need? Do you need the five minutes every day? Do you need a partner or a buddy to do this with? So what do you need? Do you need to schedule it into your calendar? Some of us mm-hmm. do at the beginning. Others of us would rather be more spontaneous, but that can come later. And then there's things to do on a practical level, emotional level, psychological, and spiritual level. Um, so briefly, you know, there's the practical stuff. I've already mentioned a lot of it. You know, like, have you learned how to set up a bookkeeping system? Please, that's, like, that's number one for me. Um, it's an, an incredibly empowering thing to do. If you want to send over your stuff to a bookkeeper at some point, that's fine, but learn how to navigate a system. Learn how to track your income and expenses, learn how to pull up a report, and start to learn about your spending and saving and earning patterns, you know, and on and on. So I really want people to learn that. It can be three months, it could be six months. You may surprise yourself and fall in love with it. You never know, right? right. Um, but learn that. Um, h- how to make it more interesting for me is that, again, this is where I bring in the more fun or creative stuff. I'm going to light my candles. I'm going to get out my oils. I'm going to get out my spritzers and spray them. <laughs> I'm going to make sure I have really good dark organic chocolate or whatever your version of that is. Right. I'm um, going to have the flowers, the nice music. Like Set up your environment. So, you know, to add in the sacredness or more meaning or play or creativity, whatever you need, right? Then there's the emotional level of the body check-ins and learning more about yourself in that moment. There's so much more there. Psychological piece is also working with, which we haven't even talked about, is just what is your money story? What did you learn from family? What do you... Um, imitating meaning what do you if your mom did it this way are you doing it exactly like her is that working for you are you doing the opposite are you rebelling your lineage there's so much more about that but that is getting into your past a bit mm-hmm. and understanding your money stories um, unshaming there bringing forgiveness there there's there's so much in that in the money healing totally. work right mm-hmm. um, and then the spiritual parts are these are concepts for me of everything about how do you cultivate more trust around life, around money. We all go through ebbs and flows, ups and downs. You know, it took me a while to realize, wait a second, in life I go through these ups and downs and ebbs and flows. Why aren't they going to happen in money too? Because they do. But why am I not realizing that um, every year is not going to be a growth year and earning more and saving more and giving year? Some years are. But some years are living within your means. Some years are treading water. So, so how do we cultivate more trust within those ebbs and flows mm. and ups and downs? And that they're real. If we, have a, if we have the honor of having a long life, we're going to have them, right? And, and then other qualities around generosity and thriving and giving. And so those are some of the spiritual components that I bring into a money practice. So it's hard to really speak about this, you know, yeah, in little bite-sized nuggets. But that's the beginning, is start creating a money practice that you design, that you choose, is it daily, every few days for a while, or weekly, certainly monthly and quarterly and yearly, and how do you need to set up your space, um, 
and how do you know learning a, there's the practical stuff of learning a bookkeeping system I'll give one more little piece here sure. that adds some fun to it or deeper meaning which is the renaming and so mm, I, I, I remember that yeah yeah I love that piece yeah so this also helps make it interesting, exciting, engaging, because some people don't want to have anything to do with the bookkeeping system. You know, as I was saying earlier, it's boring, mundane, so not creative, or, you know, but, or, and it's your money, it's your life, it's what your business is doing, it's what you're doing, it's, it's this is you, it's not some separate person's numbers, it's, it really, your numbers and your bookkeeping really represent where your values are, what's important to you, what you're creating, all of it, right? And so from the beginning, I was always looking for ways to make it more interesting, and I said, okay. It was a time when values-based everything, you know, 16 years ago was like, that's what everyone was working on, values-based investing, values-based coaching, values-based, right? And I was like, okay, well, what about values-based bookkeeping? And, and so I would have people rename their income categories, their expense, their expense categories, their debt categories, and I'll give two examples or maybe three. But the first one is pretty simple: renaming rent or mortgage to home or sanctuary or love shack. You know, like whatever <laughs> you want. And that little shift wasn't huge, but for some people, it shifted it from that damn rent bill or that damn mortgage not you know mm -hmm. to wait a second uh this is my sanctuary this is my love right. shack this is my home that's so important to me or i've had people say oh uh, i'm not living in the right place or i'm paying too much or i need to move or just renaming it you know shifts things and brings more awareness right a second one is usually it is that damn debt as well right <laughs> it's right I, and i'm not even going to look at it or know what the number is or come up with a payment plan to pay it off, right? And I worked with someone years ago. Um, I'm gonna actually tell a different version. So um, there was an accountant who uh, was probably in his 50s or 60s. And so he learned traditional accounting, right? And this is your chart of accounts and this is how you name things and it's straight up regular categories, right? And so he heard my concept of renaming was like, ah, what's so important about a name? Um, but he decided to try out this exercise and he renamed one of their debts um, to honor that his wife has survived cancer and she's alive mm. and that they're getting to have many more years together as they're aging wow. and this these medical bills um, yes there's still some debt liability that he has to pay down that they have to pay down but he renamed it to honor her life and he said every month when he goes to pay down that debt, um, it's a really beautiful experience for him. And mm. it's a wonderful way to honor um, that debt, you know, or, wow. yeah. That's a powerful okay. story. So I'll leave it at that. I always have more stories. But <laughs> that one's a, okay. that's a strong one. Yeah, I can give so many more examples of the, this is also a whole chapter in the book. Um, just how to use renaming in a way to make it more playful or to make it more meaningful and that's just been really helpful for some people not everyone some people are just like I'm fine with groceries or rent or mortgage you know right and then others just love this concept so much and then when they go to sit down and rename their categories all of a sudden their bookkeeping system just becomes more alive for them and mm -hmm. becomes a lot more engaging they, they're a lot more excited to sit down 
at their bookkeeping system and actually do it, you know, and actually track all of that. So, yeah. Wow, thank you. That's really helpful. I remember when I first did that, inspired by, I think, the Art of Money program when I was first taking that with you. And it, it was really, for me, it was actually, I found it to be really um, creative and fun, and it really shifted some things for me, for okay. sure. So I know your program is coming up this winter, yeah. but I know there's a lot of things before that that kind of lead to the Art of Money program. Yes. When does the early registration open? So early registration opens mid-October. I think it's October 18th, and it will be open for 10 days, and throughout that period, um, we always like to offer a series. And, and this early bird registration, we do something called Money Mochas, and it's little bite-size audio clips of what's inside the Art of Money program and what the methodology is all about. And that's when the early bird is. And then we have the larger registration in January. And we begin as a community February 1st. But even for all the early bird folks, they get access immediately to our private member area. They get access to a nice amount of material. Yeah. They get access to my entire library. Um, where I have interviews on, um, you know, the entire program's broken down into four months of money healing, four months of money practices, and four months of money maps. And so the library's broken down that way as well. It's interviews on money in couples, and money in debt, and money in the Enneagram, and money and, oh my God, I'm just, uh, <laughs> money shame and forgiveness and on and on. You know, Map the, of intention. Yep, instead of calling it the budget, I like to call it money map or a map of intention. That's just, you know, mm -hmm. another way of renaming mm -hmm. everything. Um, you know, there's interviews on overcoming under earning um, and on and on and on. So all my interviews from the last 16 years are in there. And yes, you need to pace yourself. Um, there's definitely a format and a structure to the year-long program that you can follow and then a lot of people have to go at their own pacing which you know there's a lot of side teachings in addition to all the money work and one of the side teachings which you've already talked about is how do you learn to listen to your body and how do you learn to slow down and learn how to listen to your intuition mm -hmm. and how do you trust your own pacing so that is all designed into the year-long program as well and there's five guest teachers two financial coaches I mean excuse me two financial planners um, one somatic trainer one bookkeeping expert and one life coach along with me I'm in there a lot a lot mm. and so much more so yay well yeah. that sounds amazing and I know that um, there'll be people who want to find out more after listening to this and they can find out more at your website yes. correct yes which is barrytesler.com again and then just to kind of point out that your book and your year-long program are both named The Art of Money. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is amazing because yeah. they're very much a reflection of each other in many ways, I'm sure. Yeah. So you can do either or both where you want to read a book about this methodology. That would be one great place to start yeah. and prepare for this availability of a new year and a new money program. Yes. Yeah, the book is called The Art of Money, A Life-Changing Guide to Financial Happiness. And then the year-long program is The Art of Money, and it will be The Art of Money 
2018, which is amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of these beautiful practices and insights and experience and stories today. And <laughs> Sounds good. So good. And this is so fun to be actually I looking know. at you while we're doing this. Normally my eyes are closed during interviews, so that was lovely. Well, thank you, Barry. Thank you. I am continually inspired in this inquiry of wisdom into all the different roles we play as women in the world today, all the different aspects of our health and happiness. Each of these aspects requires specific ingredients and namely patience and self-love, gentleness and self-care. This is truly the heart of Boulder Nutrition and the work that I live and teach each and every day. It takes time, it takes practice, it takes fine-tuning, and it takes the patience for us to start to sculpt a life, a relationship to our health and happiness that is truly authentic to our hearts and souls. Remember, you can find out more about Barry Tesler and her program, The Art of Money, through her free series, Money Mochas, which is open for exploration and investigation as we speak. You can find out more about her and her programs at barrytesler.com. Thank you so much for listening today, and I look forward to seeing you soon.